following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Uh, it is a great uh, honor and privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, some of you have uh, asked me earlier if this was my first time preaching here, and um, Actually, it's not my first time preaching. First time preaching since I came on staff back in October, but it's not my first time preaching here at Harvest Berry. Was anybody here way back in the summer of 2002? Can I see a show of hands? Anybody from those days? Well, um, the church, I think, was just about a year in, and uh, in that summer, uh, Pastor Todd didn't have a whole lot of friends back in those days, and so uh, he invited this 27-year-old with almost no experience to come and fill the pulpit, uh, one Sunday, and um, I, I'm just not sure what to make of the fact that it's been 12 years since I've, I've had a repeat invitation, but uh, it is great to be with you and great to open up God's Word. You know, one of my very favorite TV shows is The Amazing Race. Any other fans out there? Any other Amazing Race fans? Yeah, I've been watching this series uh, really since it got started, and uh, it's one of the shows that I try to never miss if I can, if I can avoid that. And I love in, uh, living vicariously through the contestants as they travel the world, visiting places that I'm sure I will never see firsthand. I'm always astounded by the beauty and the diversity of our planet. Isn't it amazing? But more than that, I love observing how the contestants respond in very difficult circumstances. Uh, whether their planes get delayed or their cab drivers head in the wrong direction, they, they can't seem to accomplish the roadblock or the detour, the language becomes a barrier, and on and on. You know what I'm talking about. And if you watch the show, you know that sometimes the teams in those situations remain very cool and calm and collected. And they just keep keeping on in spite of the challenging situation. Very positive outlook. But other times, teams just melt down. They completely collapse. And the fear and the frustration and the fatigue, it just gets the better of them. Now, who here can't relate to that in life? Not, not the whole million-dollar race thing around the world, but, but the roller coaster ride of everyday life. Lots of ups, plenty of downs, and sometimes the latter overshadows the former. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be people of resilient faith in difficult days. We've been singing about that. We've heard a testimony about that. We, we want to trust God and we want to take him at his word, even when things aren't the way we wish they were. I want that. I know you want that. We want to stand firm even when the ground is shifting under our feet. And sometimes that how it, that's how it is. Sometimes our, our confidence and our commitment to God are resolute. Sometimes we're, we're picture-perfect models of determination and devotion, no matter what's going on around us. But if we're being honest, all in favor of being honest, let's be honest. If we're being honest, oftentimes we vacillate between allegiance and apathy. We find ourselves somewhere between that. One moment we're strong and the very next moment we're weak. And we can easily shift from being certain about who God is and what he's like to being unsettled about those very same things. And we begin to ask questions like this. If God is like this, how could that happen? Or why would God allow fill in the blank at this time in my life? Why would he do that? 
Or how am I supposed to reconcile who I understand God to be with what I'm experiencing in my life right now? How can I, how can I put those two things together? Or where are you, God, and what are you up to? What are you thinking? All sorts of questions like that. And I think we've all been there at some point, and perhaps some of you are there right now, right today. And I don't know what kind of circumstances you're facing. Maybe it's the dissolving of a marriage. Maybe it's a, a prodigal child. Maybe it's a, a financial pressure, lack of employment. Uh, maybe you have relational discord in your, in your family or with some very dear friends. Maybe, maybe you've just received a discouraging health report. Maybe it's, a, it's that unfulfilled desire for children. Maybe, maybe there's just a deep longing in your heart to be in a different place in life. Maybe you're just overwhelmed from life in general. And no matter what difficulties we may be facing, God wants us to be steadfast in our relationship with him. Or as John Ortberg puts it, to be able to face our troubles without being troubled. Wouldn't you like to live like that? To face our troubles without being troubled. And the obvious question is, how do we do that? How can we live lives like that? And that's the question that's on the table this morning as we unpack a James chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. I hope you uh, have your Bible with you or your smartphone or your tablet. Turn with me to James 1. And as you're turning, uh, let me just lay out James' answer in a sentence for us. And, and as we read it, I hope you'll see it very clearly. But this is basically James' answer to the question, how can I have unwavering faith in any circumstance? He says this, he says, Just ask God for wisdom, recognizing his willing heart and his abundant supply, without doubting that he'll answer, remaining humble through it all. So why don't you follow along as I read James 1, verses 5 through 11, and then we'll pray together. James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass... Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we are patently and I would say painfully aware of our need for you. And God, we, we've sung that truth this morning, but it is more than words, God. We need you. Oh, how we need you every hour, every moment. And God, we, we need you this morning to do what only you can do as we look into your word. God, thank you for it. Thank you for its truth. And God, thank you that by the power of your spirit, uh, you take your word and you drive it deep in our hearts if we're willing to receive it. God, you desire to change us, uh, to teach us, to encourage us, to convict us, to equip us, to be the people that you want us to be. And so, God, I pray this morning that we would 
participate with you, not fight against you in that process. God, that we would be not just hearers, but appliers and doers of your word, that we would allow it to take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. God, I pray that you would speak through me to that end for your honor and your glory. Amen. Amen. So how can I have unwavering faith in any circumstance? Just ask God for wisdom, recognizing his willing heart and abundant supply, without doubting that he'll answer, remaining humble through it all. That's where we're headed this morning in our time that remains. And we're going to unpack that sentence phrase by phrase. And it all starts by just asking God for wisdom. Just asking God for wisdom. We need to pause here and review for just a few moments from last week. I hope you were here, and if you weren't, be sure to check out that message online. But we learned that James is writing this letter to Jewish believers uh, who had been scattered from their homeland, and they were facing all sorts of trials, not the least of which was a severe persecution. And understandably, they were struggling with how to remain faithful in the midst of that situation, in, in the midst of that, that very difficult circumstance. And so James starts, and we saw this last week, by exhorting them to be joyful. Because God's intent is to use their circumstances, their situation, to cultivate perseverance and maturity. And by the way, he wants to do that for you and me too, not just for those guys back in the first century. That's what his heart is for us as well. It sounds great in theory that we just choose joy and God's going to develop uh, perseverance and maturity in us, but it's a little tougher to deal with in practice. And we've sung about this. It's, it's one thing in seasons of hardship to say that God has a plan, God has purpose, and that he can be trusted. It's pretty easy to do it in those kinds of circumstances. But it's another thing altogether to truly understand his purposes and to fully embrace them in the midst of hardship. And that's why James says in verse 5 here, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. When we face times of testing, whether it's physical or emotional or financial or spiritual or financial or whatever it may be, we desperately need God's wisdom. We need his insight. And you know, wisdom is a, is a common theme throughout the pages of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And it has the idea of applied knowledge. It's understanding God's plans and purposes and then determining to live in light of them. It's, it's having his perspective on what's going on around us, seeing life through his grid and then acting accordingly. And all of us lack that ability to varying degrees. All of us need help in that area. So it really, it's not so much an if any of you lack, in the words of James, but really it's more of a since you lack. There's, there's no debating whether this is true for any of us. It's not a if maybe you lack, it's a since you lack. Drop the Superman act, we're all in need of God's wisdom. And James tells us to just ask. To just ask. It's really as simple as that. Let him ask. It's actually an imperative verb. And what that means is this is a command. This is not just a suggestion. God isn't just saying, hey, you know, like if you're having some difficulty kind of putting it all together, you might want to give some consideration to coming and asking for some help. No, he's instructing us to ask. This isn't an optional piece of advice. This is mandatory for the follower of Jesus Christ. But it's more than simply an imperative. It's also an invitation. 
God isn't just ordering us. He's not just forcing us. He's not a drill sergeant just saying, do this. He's summoning us. He's beckoning us. He's inviting us. He's welcoming us to come to him for understanding. We have an open invitation, open door policy with God to call out for his wisdom. And yet in spite of the fact that God both instructs us and invites us to approach him for wisdom, so often we look elsewhere, at least at the start. We turn to friends or family or entertainers or athletes or talk shows or the internet or our own intelligence and experience as sources of wisdom. And some of this may be okay, some of it may be helpful, much of it may be harmful, but none of it is fundamental. When we're wavering in our faith and wondering how to look at our circumstances through God's grid and then respond appropriately, we need wisdom that goes beyond any of that stuff. We need God's wisdom, not the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is folly, foolishness, ridiculous with God. So we need to go to God as a first step, not as a last resort. I'm I'm reminded of the story uh, in the Old Testament of Job. And scripture tells us that he was a blameless man. He was upright. He was a man who feared God and who turned away from evil. And uh, God had blessed Job abundantly with, with family and riches and wealth. And he was a man esteemed in his society. And Satan came to God one day and said, you know what? I'm pretty sure that the only reason Job is faithful to you is because of the blessing. You take that stuff away and he'll curse you. It's all circumstantial. And God said, okay, let's test that theory. I'm going to let you do whatever you want to Job short of killing him. And let's just see what kind of man Job really is. And if you recall that story, Job lost everything. Satan took away his children, his property, his livestock, even his own health. And most of the book of Job is a record of his three friends, and I use that term very loosely, three friends trying to bring some perspective to this devastating situation that Job found himself in, trying to help him understand what what maybe was taking place, what God was doing, trying to impart some wisdom. And near the end of the book, in chapter 28, Job asks in conclusion. He says, but where shall wisdom be found? Great question. Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver, cannot be weighed as its price. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? And then he kind of answers his own questions. He says, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it. And searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. So friends, God is the source of wisdom. It's found in him. 
But how do we access it? It's found in God, but how do we actually access it? Where do we get his understanding? We understand it comes from him. And this could be an entire message on its own, but really quickly, let me just suggest three primary ways that God gives us his wisdom. Three ways that God gives us his wisdom. First, through God's word. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? God gives us his wisdom through his word. Second Peter 1.3 says that in scripture, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Timothy 3.17 says that God's word thoroughly equips us, thoroughly equips us for every good work. In other words, we have everything that we need to be everything that God wants us to be in this book. Do you hear that? We have everything that we need to be everything that God wants us to be through his word. The Bible is God's authoritative message to us. It's the first place we should go to seek his wisdom. When we're looking for understanding as we go through difficult circumstances, God says, listen, I've written a book on that. Literally. You might want to check it out. And so, friends, we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. We need to discuss it in our small groups. We need to allow it to to penetrate our hearts. So we we, uh, receive God's wisdom first through God's word. Secondly, we receive God's wisdom through God's spirit. Through God's spirit. John 16, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And earlier in that chapter, he's, he's referred to as the helper or the counselor. And Ephesians 1.17 talks about God giving his spirit of wisdom, capital S spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And so I encourage you, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do what he was given to do. To be your helper, to be your counselor, to give you God's wisdom. Because it's a prayer that he will surely answer. God's word, God's spirit. Thirdly, we receive God's wisdom from godly counsel. From godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And as we seek out the advice of others who themselves love God's word, these are key things. It's not just anybody, but people who love God's word, people who are led by God's spirit, and people who have learned from life experience, we can increasingly get God's perspective. So make sure you get yourself around those kind of people. Put yourself around those kind of people. Allow them to speak into your life. Allow them to have influence over you. God's word, God's spirit, and godly counsel. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Friends, this is the only reasonable thing for us to do as we recognize, secondly, his willing heart and his abundant supply, his willing heart and his abundant supply. Approaching God for understanding is an absolute no-brainer when we truly consider his character. And look what James says. James says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say this is one of the most encouraging promises in all of Scripture. Let him ask and God will give generously to all without reproach. Notice that phrase, who gives. Giving is more than just an activity that God engages in from time to time. It's inherent to his very character. It's integral to who he is at the core. God is a giver by nature. 
I think Pastor Mike's going to pick up on that theme a little bit next week in the, in the next section of James chapter 1. God is a giver by nature. It's not just an activity he does from time to time. And then James goes on and he tells us two specific details about the way in which God gives his, his wisdom. Do you see it there? You may want to circle these words. First, he gives generously. He gives generously. And this word has the idea of giving wisdom without any hesitation, without holding anything back, with, with no ulterior motives, no expectation of something in return. All of that's wrapped up in this word generously. And then second, God gives his wisdom without reproach. And uh, I don't know when the last time you used the word without reproach. Uh, it's not something we say all that often. But, but it has the idea of not reprimanding, not scolding, not finding fault, not, not grumbling, not holding a grudge. So in other words, God isn't someone who gives to you with one hand and then kind of wants to slap you with the other. That, that's not the way God gives. He, he has a willing heart and he has an abundant supply. And, you know, it, it's pretty rare to see people like that who give what they have generously and without reproach. I'm sure it happens, but it's not all that often. And, and I'm about you, but as a result, for me at least, it can be kind of hard to envision God like that. It, it can be hard to really picture what that means. And certainly Satan is doing his very best to convince us that God doesn't want to grant us his wisdom because Satan doesn't want us to ask because Satan wants us to waver in our walk. Did you catch that? Satan is at work to convince us God doesn't want to give us his wisdom because he doesn't want us to ask because he wants us to keep on wavering. That's the kind of life Satan wants us to lead. And so he whispers faulty notions about God's approach to giving us his understanding. He tells us lies. Maybe some of these have entered your own mind. I I was thinking about it this week, and I I, I jotted down five things God doesn't think when you ask for wisdom. Five things God doesn't think when you ask for wisdom. Number one, you're asking for a lot. You're asking for a lot. I mean, have you considered the fact that you're not the only person in need around this world? I mean, have you given any thought about all of the requests that I'm fielding this week? I mean, what you're asking for is no small thing, and I do have my limits. You are asking for a lot. God doesn't think that. Number two, you should have asked sooner. You should have asked sooner, why are you only coming to me now after exhausting a bunch of other resources? Why did you wait until your circumstances become so difficult anyway? I mean, like, why do I just feel like an afterthought? Am I just a last resort for you? You should have asked sooner. Everybody say, God doesn't think that way. God does not think that way. Number three, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I mean, have you taken a close look at your life lately? Have you? It's not much to write home about. You're falling short of my expectations in multiple ways. You're, you're sitting in your thoughts and your words and your actions, and you want my help? You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. 
Five things God doesn't think when you ask for wisdom. You're asking for a lot. You should have asked sooner. You don't deserve it. Number four, you didn't listen last time. You didn't listen last time. Hey, remember that previous situation when you asked for wisdom? Remember, like, not that long ago? You didn't listen last time. Why are things going to be any different this time? God doesn't think that way. Number five. You owe me big time. You owe me big time. I'm happy to answer your requests and all, but don't think that I'm not keeping track here. I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. And I fully intend to call in a favor, and you better be ready to pay up, buddy. You owe me big time. Any of those thoughts crept into your heart and mind? Has Satan whispered any of those lies? To you as you sought out God's wisdom. Friends, listen to me. Our God isn't like that. Our God is not like that. He gives generously to all without reproach. It just reminds me of Jesus' remarkable words in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, that describe the heart of our Father God. Just listen to these words. Allow these just to flood over your heart. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. So how can I have unwavering faith in any circumstance? Just ask God for wisdom, recognizing his willing heart and abundant supply. And now this, without doubting that he'll answer, without doubting that he'll answer, James shifts from the manner in which God gives wisdom to the manner in which we're to ask for his wisdom. And he says this, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. You see, when hardship comes, we have basically four potential responses. And see where you kind of fit into one of these categories. Uh, You can have fight. I'm going to get tough. I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to bear through it. You can fight. Or you can have flight. I'm running for my life. Get me out of here. Are you going to have fright? Like I'm freaking out right now. I am freaking out. I don't know what to do. Or number four, you can have faith. You can have faith where you trust God through it all. And James calls us to be people of faith. Not people of fight or flight or fright, but people of faith. People who sincerely, although imperfectly, for sure, but people who sincerely trust in God's nature and trust in his promises. And he calls us not to doubt, not to be people who who hedge our bets and who sit on the fences. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. When I doubt God in the midst of trials, really what I'm doing is I'm calling into question his character. That's what I'm doing. I'm calling his character into question. I'm asking as if he... 
or I'm, I'm acting as if he doesn't really know what I'm going through, or if he knows, he doesn't really care, or if he knows and cares, he can't do anything about it. Do you get that? Either he doesn't know what I'm going through, he doesn't care what I'm going through, or he knows and he cares, but he doesn't have the power to do anything. That's calling into question God's character. And those are pretty strong assertions, even if they're given indirectly. And any request that questions God's competence or his credibility, it it is absolutely presumptuous. And friends, it's pointless. Hebrews 11 verse 6 warns that without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so James goes on to mention two reasons why we need to ask in faith with no doubting. Look at the first one in verse 6. He says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We've already sung about this image this morning. The picture here is not of the surf rushing uh, the shore like it does at your favorite beach. But it's really the, the restless surging in the middle of an ocean. And the surface of the water never has the same appearance from moment to moment. And James says, that's what it's like for the person who doubts. There's an immaturity there. And that person is, is prey to every shifting wind of doctrine and every raging storm of difficulty. And when we don't trust God, the, the only course is to go from bad to worse to worse still. It's just like this downward death spiral. And that's the first reason we need to ask in faith with no doubting, because it's not going anywhere good if we don't. And then James gives us the second reason in verses 7 and 8. Look what he says. He says, For that person, speaking of the person who would ask and doubt, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James uses a, a really intriguing term here to describe the person who wavers in his faith. He calls him a double-minded man. Literally, that word means double soul. S-O-U-L-E-D. Double-souled. And so that, that should indicate the depth of the internal division. It's at the soul level. Two souls. It's as if belief and unbelief are at war within any of you read the, um, the famous Christian allegory, Pilgrim's Progress? Fantastic book. And John Bunyan, the author of that story, has a character like this in his book. Does anybody remember what that character was called? Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. Can you relate to that? of two minds, double-minded. It's no wonder James says that kind of person is unstable in all his ways. The the idea there is inconsistency, back and forth, pro and con, yes and no, this but that, waffling, equivocating, hedging. And James says that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. God God isn't going to respond to the request for wisdom from someone whose faith is superficial, uh, whose commitment is, is come and go, 
hot and cold. And Jesus repeats the same message over and over again in the Gospels. Just one example, Matthew 21, 22. It says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I just want to be clear. This isn't about knuckling down and trying harder. This isn't about conjuring up some sort of contrived belief. It's about an assurance that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. So how can I have unwavering faith in any circumstance? Just ask God for wisdom, recognizing his willing heart and abundant supply without doubting that he'll answer. And finally this, remaining humble through it all. Remaining humble through it all. Look at verses 9 to 11 again. Let me read those. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. On the surface, these verses may seem a little out of place given the subject that we're dealing with. We're talking about pursuing a faith that's strong in any circumstance and seeking God's wisdom to help us understand his plans and his purposes in our lives. And like, what's all this talk about people boasting and about exaltation and humiliation and flowers and grass and scorching sun? I mean, it seems a little strange, doesn't it? Well, James wants to address not only our actions, but also our attitude as we strive to remain faithful through difficulties, not just action, but attitude. He wants to get to the heart. And basically what he says in this paragraph is that no matter what your status is, regardless of how much or how little you have, you need to remain humble. You need to remain humble. Humility of spirit is a key to unlocking God's heart and unleashing his wisdom. And so how does that work exactly? Well, he starts by addressing the lowly brother, the person who's economically poor and and socially disadvantaged. And again, if you remember who he was writing to originally, it certainly applied to those Jewish believers, his original audience. They were forced to scatter from their homeland, leave all that they own behind. And so they definitely were lowly brothers. And you can probably think of some people today who fit the profile of the lowly brother. And James calls everyone in that situation, maybe it's you, He calls everyone in that situation to, notice, boast in his exaltation. Boast in his exaltation. That's the idea of rejoicing or glorying in his position. And even though his physical situation is nothing to write home about, spiritually speaking, he's a child of the king. He's a son or daughter of the Most High. And that's something to get excited about. He can look beyond his his present earthly difficulties to see this current spiritual reality and the coming blessings in eternity. So he can look beyond his immediate circumstances and recognize the true spiritual state as well as what's still to come. 1 Peter 1.4 refers to the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. And all of that is the lowly brothers. Isn't that amazing? That's why he can boast in his exaltation. But then he turns very quickly to the rich brother. The person who's well-off, well-connected, well-regarded. Maybe that's you this morning. We're all in one of these two categories, by the way. So take your pick. Rich brother, lowly brother. We're getting to the same place. 
And James reminds him that no matter how lofty he may seem in the eyes of the world, it doesn't amount to anything before God. Material possessions are temporary. They come and go. And really, that's what the rest of the verses are saying. He uses imagery about flowering grass and looking, uh, looking nice for a time and then sun scorching them and withering them and them dying. And it's a picture of the rich brother's life. And with wealth comes, it doesn't stay. It's fleeting. And when it goes, it's meant to drive the rich person to the Lord in a spirit of genuine humility. You see, at the end of the day, James says the rich and the poor are exactly alike. Having stuff or not having stuff, neither is of any ultimate consequence. What is of significance is a trusting relationship with God. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It's about a trusting relationship with God who showers us with his spiritual blessings that will never fade away and never fail to satisfy. And you see, trials... Catch this. Trials are the great equalizer in life. Trials are the great equalizer in life. They level the playing field. They bring all of God's children to humble dependence on him. Think even of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced imminent crucifixion. Luke twenty two forty one and 42 says this, that he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Humble dependence in his hour of testing. An example par excellence for every one of us. Friends, you know, I don't know what you're going through today. But I do know that God wants you to have an unwavering faith. God wants you to have an unwavering faith in any circumstance. And you can. You can have that. Just ask him for wisdom. Recognizing his willing heart and his abundant supply. Without doubting that he'll answer. Remaining humble through it all. Would you pray with me? Father God, I I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. God, all of us on a journey, all of us with a desire to live for you, to be people of faith, people of conviction, people of commitment. And yet, God, life throws us curves. God, life doesn't always work out smoothly. And it makes having that kind of faith that we all want very difficult. But God, I pray that you would remind us that it is possible. God, you want us to have unwavering faith. You make it possible for us to have unwavering faith as we come to you and seek out your wisdom. And so, God, I pray that we would do that. God, I pray for those who are struggling today that we would not turn to other sources of input, not not try to gain perspective from the ways of this world, but to try to gain perspective on who you are and what you're doing from you, from your heart, 
from your word, through your spirit, from your people. God, and I pray that as we do that, that our faith would be bolstered. That we wouldn't be people who are shifting around like the waves of the sea, but that we would be strong. That we would have our feet planted firmly upon your truth. God, thank you for the promise that you give generously. You don't hold back. You don't make us feel guilty for asking. You don't hold, us, hold it against us. You just say, come and ask. I want to give it to you. I want to flood your life. So God, we come and we ask. We seek. Would we find our wisdom in you? Help us to press on in faith. Help us to press on in conviction. For your honor and glory, in the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.